here is a teaser of my Patreon-only interview with journalist Max Blumenthal, in which he talks about what he learned from traveling to Venezuela and Syria. To hear the rest of the episode, please go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. I'm not a big Beatles yeah. fan either. It feels kind of like nerdy music that like you're supposed to dance to with your hippie child or something. Yeah. Then you take like black and white photos of yourself as like this cool super dad dancing with your son to the Beatles. You keep the record player on at night. Turn on the record player and put on the Beatles. <laughs> dance with your son. Talk to them on the phone. What is this? There's four million words that they can learn more than black children. I mean, poor children. <laughs> this is Biden. Yeah. Oh, my God. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't want they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words fewer spoken by the time they get there. You heard about Corn Pop? Corn Pop is real. I mean, you should go find him, track him down. He was tracked down. His obituary was discovered in a local paper, and there was an NAACP chair from Wilmington who spoke about Corn Pop after Biden. Corn Pop was a well-known ne'er-do-well, a scofflaw who yeah. engaged in many shenanigans. Right. Malarkey, yeah, malarkey. Yeah. Whipped out a lot of straight blade razors. And, right. You, know, they remember, you remember they used to scape him on the pavement and get him rusty. You remember what it was like. You know, I told him I'd wrap a chain around his head <laughs> if he didn't get off the diving board. Everyone missed that part. He it's really like, said that? It's like it's how in Biden went in the middle of when Biden was saying, get, turn on the record player. He, 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 out of nowhere, he says, get on the phone. Make sure you have the record player on it night the, the, the phone get on the phone what what does that mean <laughs> biden obviously had been you know ha getting hammered for like his role in the crime bill and putting lots right. of black people in prison saying you know horrible things about them on the senate floor and, and he couldn't answer the question about uh slavery right. except without telling him to turn on the record player so he schedules this event at this swimming pool and he whips out the corn pop story i believe it was 2008 he claimed that he had been a civil rights activist right and there was no record of that but and it was, he said it was well lifeguarding, right? guess what i was a lifeguard <laughs> yeah. and which resulted in a black in, pool, in a black pool yeah. and it resulted in the weirdest photo op everywhere if you look up biden lifeguard and go to you know google images or whatever yeah. it's him and in a suit sitting in a lifeguard chair like a, a bathing suit or like a, a suit no, suit no just like a three-piece suit no. not not a speedo and there are these black youth just like standing below the chair like there's a picture of joe biden sitting on a lifeguard chair i thought you meant from the time that he was doing it no no no. this is like a recent so was one. he reenacting it yeah yeah they put him up in the chair and they're like that's the chair you <laughs> sat in above the black people Oh, they named the pool after him. Oh, yeah. my God. So it's wow. a Joe Biden pool. City pool named for former VP Joe Biden. This is from 2017. Okay, got it. Anything else you want to talk about? I wanted to talk about coming back from Syria. Okay, so let's and do it. I, I was just in a country that you know we've heard so much about for years, and I was in a part of the country where most Syrians live, which is government-controlled territory. And that's really most of the country right now, now that the war is winding down or the, the, the war which was imposed on Syria from the outside is over. I got to see the areas around Damascus. You know, one of the first impressions I had was how close these foreign-backed extremists came to overrunning large parts of Damascus or the city itself. 
Um, and, you know, you see the Syrian flag over Damascus. What does it represent? It represents a post-colonial Arab state. Um, for many Syrians, it also represents kind of not secularism, but the Syrian mosaic of religious minorities living together. Um, and, you know, it is a police state, but they've been able to have a pluralistic society. And you can actually imagine black flags flying over Damascus when you go there. And particularly when we were staying in the old city, not, yeah, not the, the cool Antifa flags. What are black flags? I don't know. The Islamic state, yeah. Al Qaeda. In Damascus, the city was surrounded to the east by Jaysh al-Islam, uh, which was a Saudi funded Wahhabi militia that was run by um, Zahran Alush, who is a fanatical Wahhabi preacher uh, who pledged explicitly to cleanse Syria of religious minorities. He would use the term cleanse. And we're staying in Bab Sharki, which is the easternmost gate of the old city for several days without any regime minders or whatever anyone thinks. We're just kind of there. We went across a highway, which is right at the gate, wandered into this neighborhood um, towards the ruins of Ghouta, which is an area that had been run as a kind of mini Islamic state by Jaysh al-Islam within a stone's throw from the old city. And when I say the old city, I mean, this is a Christian area where Christians fled from Roman persecution. It's where um, Saul became St. Paul. Better call St. Paul. Yeah, there are Greek um, churches there that are a thousand years old, and there's still an active Christian community there that's living in harmony with Muslims. And you, mm. you, know, you can hear the Muslim call to prayer from there. Um, and you know, anyway, we walk across this highway. You can see wreckage in the distance. Uh, we walk through a yard of destroyed public buses, which are just riddled with bullet holes. And we meet a guy who lives in an, what's left of the neighborhood behind there. And he described life under Jaysh al-Islam. He had lived under their control for four months. You know, I peppered him with questions. You know, what was it like? He said it was like living in a mini Saudi Arabia. They executed. They didn't cut people's hands off. They executed them in the street for violating their laws. They stole everyone's food. They stole the aid and then they stockpiled it and sold it back to the people at inflated prices. And they've moved on to actually to start multi-million dollar businesses in Turkey. Um, you know, they disappeared women, uh, raped them. They were just turned the whole neighborhood into a living hell. The guy described it as a horror show. And then they tried to attack the old city and take it over. And they were stopped by the Syrian army. Um, at that time, they took a few hundred civilians or hundred civilians and put them in a horse stable and oh told the government, well, you'll kill them all if you attack us. So they engaged in this pro prolonged negotiation. And then they were all let out in green buses to go to the province of Idlib, which is where the fighting is now. And, you know, throughout that whole time, a lot of the people who were attacking us signed this open letter in the New York Review of Books demanding that the U.S. provide protection to Ghouta and to the insurgent Wahhabi forces in Ghouta that were making life hell for these. This is guy who owns, a, he, he, he worked in a sandwich shop, you know, he's just a regular guy who himself was Muslim. And he said, we were so happy when the army came and liberated us. And this is just something you're not allowed to hear right. in the US. Um, so many places we went were surrounded on all sides. And when, when people accuse us of being genocide apologists, they should go talk to the religious minorities of Syria. What they experienced was a near genocide and life 
for Sunni Muslims who are living under the control of these fanatics was absolutely horrible as well. To hear the rest of the episode, please go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show.